Amen. Good morning. Kids, you're dismissed to your classroom. Enjoy. Uh, my name's Stephen. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, I see a lot of new faces today, and so just do a quick welcome. I want to echo Carlton's welcome. If you could stand up and then sit down and stand up again and then sit down, we'll get started. <laughs> yeah, welcome to church. Uh, Anyways, I'm, I'm one of the elders and uh, kind of the primary teaching pastor and lead pastor here, and so I just want to say welcome. I'm glad you're here. You, you chose to come on a really special day, and hopefully uh, maybe some of you are here uh, because today is a special day, as we say uh, goodbye to a really pivotal, foundational uh, member of our church, uh, Dylan and Macy and their sweet baby Ruth. And so um, anyways, I'll talk about that later, but I just use that as an, as an introduction uh, this morning. So uh, if you have your Bibles, we're in... Exodus chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 13 is our task for today. Um, if you have, if you've been around uh, and you have a binder, there is next week's study guide. It's only one week. Next week we will have, Lord willing, the rest of part one, which gets us all the way through chapter 15. So if you haven't been keeping up, we have extras, so just come ask uh, myself or somebody else. Uh, tell us what weeks you're missing, and we'll get you the printout. So uh, binder, if you're new, grab one. It's our gift to you, um, and, and you can catch up with your, with your printed sheets. So um, we did this on this uh, little side hustle with the home printer this week, so that's kind of how things have been going. So... We were last night. We were over there, like slicing them up, making sure the whole punch is so. If it doesn't fit, uh, it was Megan's fault. Okay. <laughs> All right. So if you have your Bible, Exodus chapter seven, verse one. Let's listen to the word of the Lord. So the Lord said to Moses, "See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you." And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord had commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret art. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. I love this. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for a time to gather together as the church. In this place, in this time, we know that from the beginning, you set us out to be a people who would bring 
glory and worship to you. And so I pray that the next 25, 30 minutes would be that, that you would be made much of, that you would be magnified, that we as brothers and sisters in Christ would worship you through the teaching of your word. So remove me from the equation, Father. I pray that you would just help us to lean in uh, to this text. So we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were here a couple weeks ago, uh, we laid out the seven I will statements from the beginning of chapter 6. And then if you were here last week when Andrew was preaching, by the way, uh, he did an amazing job last week. And he had probably the most difficult text to preach. It's probably the easiest text to study for because there's not a whole lot you can study for. But it's the most difficult passage to preach, and he did a fantastic job. So if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back to the website and, and listen um, to the word that he brought last week when he's talking through the genealogy. But if you go back two weeks ago, we really get the introduction to where we are in chapter 7. There are these seven I will statements. I'm going to go back through them. I'm going to remind you of those gospel principles. So there are four of them from two weeks ago. The fifth one comes in today. So it's an eighth I will statement that kind of kicks off this chapter 7. So the first I will statement, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So this is the Lord saying he will do these things, the seven I will statements of Yahweh. The second one is I will deliver you from slavery to them. So that led us to our first gospel principle, if you'll remember. It's that God's salvation brings liberation from our bondage to sin. It's such a big deal. The, the third I will statement, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment, which led us to the next gospel principle that it is God who redeems us through his work and through his power. The fourth I will statement, I will take you to be my people. The fifth is I will be your God. This has been our memory verse from Exodus chapter 6 since we began. Everything kind of culminated into that week of I will be your God, which leads us to the third gospel principle that God makes us his own, adopting us into his family. The next two I will statements, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give, and I will give it to you for a possession which led us to our last gospel principle from two weeks ago, that there is an inheritance waiting for those who trust and follow God. And so as we kick off chapter 7 with these verses, we get another I will statement. And anytime you see the Lord saying, I will do something, pause, listen, read well, reread it, and then read it again, because it is God who is doing the work. So the eighth I will statement is, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And this should be the one that grips us the most. The Lord says, Yahweh, the great I am, I will harden his heart. It had nothing to do with Pharaoh's position. It had nothing to do with his power. It had nothing to do with his upbringing. It had everything to do with this was the will of God. The God who created Pharaoh in his image, in his likeness, he hardened Pharaoh's heart. So our fifth gospel principle is that there is judgment awaiting those who do not obey God. And, there's always an and when it comes to the gospel, and mercy abounding for those who do. Let me reread that. There is judgment awaiting those who do not obey God, and mercy abounding for those who do. So these first seven verses, and I want, to, I want us to kind of look at them in chunks if we can do that. So really think of it as two parts to the same part. But these first seven verses lead us to understanding two ways of knowing God. And that's what we're doing here. Okay, So if you're new to the branch, we're going literally verse by verse through the book of Exodus. I don't know how many weeks we're in. I think it's 13. And we're in chapter 7. 
There are 40 chapters of Exodus. We have a very, very long way to go. And we are committed to doing the work because we believe the hard work reveals the nature and character of who God is. That is our task when we come in here, is to worship him, to bring him glory, to sing his praises, and to get to know him. And the more we study his word, the more we get to know him. And so that's what we are doing here. So there are two primary ways in these first seven verses that you may know him by experiencing mercy, his mercy through salvation. Okay? That's what he's doing to the people of Israel. That's what he's doing to the Hebrews. That's what he's done to Moses. That's what he's done to Aaron. That's what he's doing to me and to you. And the second is you may know him by experiencing his wrath through judgment. And that's what happen, is happening to the Egyptians. That's what's happening to Pharaoh. And so as we begin to press into this passage, I want us to begin to understand that mercy and judgment are one from the same God. Okay? They're both coming from God. He is in control of those things. And so as he hardens Pharaoh's heart, he extends mercy to his people. And that is true for me, and it's true for you today. So we'll be spending a lot of time talking about judgment and mercy. So in this passage, Moses becomes the mediator. right? So the, there are four things that I want us to see throughout this entire text today. The first is that Moses and Aaron are obedient Okay? We've seen a lot of excuses so far. We've seen Moses saying, hey, I'm not the right guy. I don't want to be the right guy. I don't talk too good. Can you send someone else? It's been excuse after excuse after excuse to the point of disobedience. And here, God says, go to Pharaoh and tell him all that I've commanded. And he does it. Moses is obedient. So the first thing that I want us to see in this passage, the first lesson that this narrative gives us is that Moses and Aaron are obedient. Moses has been seen questioning God, right, this entire time. If you go back and reread parts of the first six chapters of Exodus, you see that. And yet here he somehow has found the courage, because of the mercy of God, to be obedient. And so what I want us to do is to, to rest in the promise of God and allow that to lead to our obedience. The only way to truly trust the promise is to be obedient. You don't fully trust the promise of God through disobedience. Your disobedience is proof that you don't believe his promise. Okay, The gospel has not taken root yet. Now, here's the reality. Can we just do a sidebar? Okay. If you are here today and you are a Christian, saved by, the, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone, you are a regenerate believer. You are a Christian. You are still a sinner. Okay? That is the truth. That is what the Bible says. That is what we say week after week. You don't come in here perfect. Not one of us does. The elders don't. The staff doesn't. The worship team doesn't. The people who put the chairs out, which, by the way, they're people who show up really early so that we can have a place to meet in, okay? They're not perfect. We all come in here as sinners. And yet, Christ died for us. So while we are still sinners, we are free from the consequence of sin. That's mercy, okay? Judgment no more. Yeah? Amen? Okay? So that's where we are. That is what's happening to Moses and to Aaron. And eventually... It's going to happen to his people. The second thing that we have to see in this text is the power of Satan in the world. So if this is your first time uh, at the branch, um, we're going to talk about Satan for just a minute, okay? And uh, we, we don't do that a lot. Not that we're, uh, we just don't give him room at, place in the room, okay? 
but today we have to, because there, there are things going on in Exodus where we have to press into, okay, what is happening in the world? What is happening in the world back then, in the, the content, the context of the passage that we're studying, and what's happening in our world today? Okay, so here's what I want us to do. Uh, I want us to start with the foundation from Ephesians chapter 6. So let me read it to you. It's not on the screen, but I just want you to listen to these words. Okay, For we do not wrestle, this is Paul writing, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Did you pay attention to the psalm that we read this morning? Okay, Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay? Jesus goes so far in John chapter 12 to call Satan the ruler of this world. He is not the ruler of the world. He's the ruler of this world in this time. Okay? But what we have to understand is that Satan is not a creator. He's a counterfeit. Okay? He's a copycat. All right? And I want to spend some time with Philip Ryken's commentary this week, which is really accessible. I mean, it's very large, but it's very accessible. It's in the ESV study app. So if you have the ESV Bible app, you can, you can get this commentary. It's kind of a narrative form. It's very good. But listen to what he says, what he says about Satan. He says, although Satan's power is real, it is not absolute. You see the difference? It's real. He has power. It was delegated to him by God. It's not absolute. This is Philip this is Riken still, he's the president of Wheaton College, by the way. He says, We have already seen that Satan has the power to perform counterfeit miracles that keep his servants in spiritual bondage. But he does not have power, the power, to overrule the sovereign God. Satan can only do what God allows him to do. And whenever God decides to do something, there is nothing that Satan can do to stop him. Hello. Do we need to reread it? There is nothing that Satan can do to stop him. Once the tomb was empty, if you're new to Christianity, Jesus, our Savior, died a real death, a physical death. He was buried, crucified and buried. This is why we do Easter. And he was resurrected. Once that tomb was empty, this statement has eternal significance and eternal truth. It can't ever go backwards. There is never a situation where Satan gets to create outside of God's will. It was true for Job. Everything that happened to Job happened according to God's will. Everything that's happening to you, everything that's happening to me, where it seems like evil is engulfed you, is done according to the will of God. And yes, Satan might have power in that moment, but he doesn't have forever power. He doesn't have the kind of power that can make dead things go to life things. Okay? There's only one who can do that. There's only one true God. And that's the, if there's one thing, guys, if there's one thing that you can take away today, there's one true God. That is it. That is the only point of today's entire message. And so we're, I started my clock a little late, so we might be a little bit beyond where we are. But I'm at 13 minutes and 27 seconds. If you need to check out right now, there is one true God. One true God. Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons, one God. The Bible he gives Moses, when Moses says, who, do I, who should I tell them that you are? He says, tell them that I am. I am the great I am. Yahweh. Yahweh is the one true God. God is holy, and he's altogether righteous. And what I've learned in 37 years of living on this planet is that he is serious about sin. Serious about sin. 
But just as serious as he is about sin, he's also just as serious about mercy. As a Christ follower, he doesn't call you to perfection. He extends you perfection through his perfect son. That's the gospel. I don't stand up here having deserved a single thing. I stand up here broken. I stand up here as a sinner, forgiven and redeemed. And my only job, you want to know what my only job is? I kind of technically, legally have a few jobs, but my only real job is to stand up here with a sign that is pointing other people to Jesus Christ. And that is your only job too. Now you might be a doctor, you might be a nurse, you might be a teacher, you might be a lawyer. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what all you do, right? You might work for the county, you might be a student. Your only job is in everything that you do to point other people to Jesus because that is where mercy is extended. God chose through his sovereignty to use Moses and Aaron to extend mercy to his people. He didn't have to, but he chose to. Just like he doesn't have to use me, but he chose to use me. He doesn't have to use you. He has chosen to use you. Do you see the difference? When you go walk around the world, and you think, oh man, I got to go share the gospel with somebody, or I got to do this thing. Right? Let's put it in the context of parenting a little bit. I got to change the kid's diaper again, right? You get to, Okay. The diaper is a bad analogy. It's the first one that came to my mind, so you know what kind of life stage I'm in, all right? But the difference between having to and being chosen to, I was chosen to be the dad who changes those three kids' diapers. Thankfully, there's only one still in diapers, and we're trying to kick her out of those two, right? But I was chosen from the very beginning of time to be their dad. What a great responsibility. Just like I was chosen from the beginning of time, it took me a while to get here, to be the pastor of this church. What a privilege. Just like you were, no matter what life circumstances and kind of stuff has been thrown your way, you've been chosen in whatever season of life you're in and wherever you are in this world to be used for the glory of God for other people's good. He's using you. Don't be fooled. Okay? So when you leave here and you're wondering like, gosh, I, I could never do that. Or maybe I need to go somewhere so I can do something else. No, you, God has you right where he wants you to be right now. So use what breath you have for his good, for his glory. So back to Satan. How about that transition? Okay. So Satan has power in this world, in this world only. I think the most important thing that we can remember is that he cannot create. He can only copy so when we see these magicians, these Egyptian magicians, which is a really difficult thing to say, you've got to slow yourself down. I did it in the mirror this week. It's like Egyptian magician, right? Okay. <laughs> I didn't actually do that. I didn't, I swear. Um, the Egyptians, here we go, those guys can only do, they can only copy, okay? So Moses, uh, it's not, we don't know if it's Moses' staff or Aaron's staff. It doesn't really matter at this point. But Aaron's the one who throws the staff down at Moses' command, at God's command. Okay, you see how that process is going? So he goes down and he throws it and it turns into a snake. All right? And then the magicians do the same. They throw their staffs down and they turn to snakes. They don't get to create that. They can only copy that. Okay? So that's what we got to do is we got to keep Satan's authority into context. His authority is very limited. It might seem like he's all-powerful if you turn on the news or you read the newspaper or you get on Instagram or something like that, but he's limited. He's finite. His power is not absolute. So what we need to do is as we keep working our way through this, we see that God's power, we see God's power over the works of Satan. 
God is more powerful. And so here's the way that this works. There, there are two Hebrew words for serpent, okay? The one from chapter 6 is the word nakash, okay? Which actually means snake. It can't mean anything else. The other one is tannin, okay? You should feel super smart right now, okay? Tannin is like reptile, okay? So there's like this weird argument. And I, this is a rabbit trail, and I'll do it real fast. There's this weird argument. People try to, you know, people try to lean on other things to disprove the the inerrancy of God's word, okay? So just because we're using two different words doesn't mean we have two different meanings, okay? So tannin and nakash can both mean serpent. Now, tannin can also mean like crocodile, okay? But in this context, it's not crocodile. So if it was a crocodile, I'm pretty sure that God's still sovereign over all things. But we're going to go ahead and just assume that it was a serpent, okay? So just because we use different words and our English translates them the same doesn't prove that Scripture is somehow errant, Okay? So that's one of the contextual things that we like to speak into sometimes because it's important for us to know that God's word is complete and it's without error. Okay? So if you ever read an article on like Got Questions or something and they get into this thing about the definition of serpent, just know that tannin can also be snake. Okay? Either way, I'm running away. Okay? Whether it's a crocodile or a snake, I'm not picking it up. All right? So, Satan can only corrupt. He can never create. I'm going to go back to Phil Riken. Listen to this, this, this second quote. He says, Satan is always a counterfeiter, never an innovator. This explains, please listen to this, okay? This explains why every false religion has ethical principles or sacred rituals that seem vaguely similar to Christianity. Satan's a knockoff artist. I mean, hello. Unable to make a religion that is truly unique. Wow. Satan is wholly unable to make a religion that is truly unique. He is always borrowing something from God. Always. Okay? So now that we understand that Satan has power, we need to rest in the promise that it's not complete power. It's not absolute power. He's not omniscient. Okay? He's not all-knowing. He's not omnipresent so all, in all places at one time. He's finite. Okay? And he's already been dealt an eternal, fatal blow. That's what we call the resurrection, okay? All right? So the, the third thing to see is God's power over the works of Satan. The fourth thing is to see Pharaoh's hardened heart. And this is where I want to spend the rest of our time this morning. Okay, let's go back to Exodus chapter 7. And I'm going to start reading in verse 10. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord had commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. 13. Still. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. So if you go backwards a little bit in Exodus, there were three signs. Couldn't figure out how I wanted to do that. There were three signs, okay? God said, go to Pharaoh and do these three signs, right? One was the staff, the other was the hand in the cloak, and the other was the take the cup, scoop out of the Nile, and pour it onto dry ground, and it becomes blood, okay? And we're going to get those over the course of the next few weeks as we enter into the plague. So <laughs> if you haven't had fun yet, come back next week. We're going to start talking about plagues, okay? Um, where, where water becomes, uh, gets turned into blood, the Nile specifically. So God is hardening 
Pharaoh's heart. He's heard the commands of God. He's seen the works of God, and yet his heart remains hard. So like I said before, this has nothing to do with who Pharaoh was. His position, his power, his influence, his riches, his wealth, his anything, and everything to do with the sovereignty of God. Okay? So we say it all the time. The gospel equals, okay? The simplest definition we can give, God saves sinners. Okay? Well, I think we've said that almost every single week we've been in Exodus. That is the gospel. That you and I, broken, dead in our trespasses, sin, deserving of death, have been brought to new life. Okay? Pharaoh wasn't a given new life. Is God still sovereign? Because he hardens the hearts of some and he softens the hearts of others, is he still sovereign and good? Yes, he is. This is one of the real complexities of Christian theology. Yes, okay? It's okay to wrestle with that thought, to wrestle with that question, but God is in control of salvation, 100%. Let me tell you what I bring to the table of salvation. You want to know what it is? It's a long list. It's completely blank. Literally nothing. I bring death. Bad decision, sin, anger, frustration, impatience. Okay, so now the list is getting longer, right? All holy things, yes? No, right? We bring nothing to the table of salvation. And yet God has chosen to extend salvation, to redeem his children. God is in control, all right? God is in control, and God keeps his promise. God keeps his covenant. He's made a covenant a long time ago, and he's, he's fulfilling it today. He liberates, redeems, and adopts sinners. Let's go back to a couple weeks ago. And he gives them an inheritance and makes them objects of his mercy. So I don't know how often you think about God's mercy, but I would encourage you to think about it more. No matter, even if you think about it often, I don't think we, I don't think we really rest in the mercy of God enough. Not, not all the time, but we go through seasons. Have you ever been through seasons of doubt? You don't have to raise your hand. I mean, you can if you want. I have. Is that okay for me to say? I have. As a pastor, seasons of doubt. Seasons of, okay, Lord, are you sure? That's doubt. Or seasons of, God, are you sure you're using me? That's doubt. Or how about this one? This one's super fresh, okay? God, was that sermon good enough for you? Doubt, okay? Those are all lies, by the way, okay? Some sermons are better than others, by the way, just for the record, okay? I know that. I'm aware of that. That's why we listen to them throughout the week, and we have a preaching team. That's why I'm not the only person who stands up here to preach. Thank God there are other gifted men who've been called to preach the word of God. There's a tangent for you, okay? God is in control. And so as Satan does his magic, God has the ultimate authority, so the magicians could have thrown their staffs down and not turned to snakes. You know this, right? But he, God allowed their staff to be turned into a serpent so that Pharaoh's heart would stay hard. So if I were to stand up here with a staff and throw it on the ground and it becomes a snake and your heart is softened, that is the mercy of God. If I were to stand up here and put my hand into a jacket and it has leprosy, Okay, if you're not familiar with the Exodus story, hang around, okay? Because we'll go back to this. But if I were, this is one of the signs. If I were to put my hand in my jacket and it comes out white as snow, and I were to put it back in and now it's healed again, 
That is the mercy of God. Now, if I were to put it in there, and it stays white, and I put it back in there, and it stays, and I decay, that's judgment. Okay? God's in control of that. All right? And that's what we're going to continue to see with the magicians, is, as God enters into this, what I'm going to call this epidemic of plagues. Okay? Because they come in a flurry. All right? It's one, bang, 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 bang. There's ten of them. And they keep intensifying, and Pharaoh's heart continues to remain hard. Even to the tenth plague, the most devastating plague, death. His heart remains hard. And so what does that mean for us? What's the application? So we're talking about Satan, we're talking about hardened hearts. Welcome to the branch, okay? What does that mean for us? It means that we need to rest in the gospel. We need to rest there, dwell in it. Right? We're in the summertime. Have you ever just like go and sit in a float and just, you know how it just like, you sink into it and it kind of engulfs you? No? You guys should get out more. Okay? That feeling though, when you get into something and it just kind of, or you get in bed at night, okay? I know you all do this. And you pull the covers up and you feel engulfed by it. That's what we need for the gospel to do in our lives. We need to rest in the gospel. We need to trust the gospel, and we need to continue to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Okay? That's the application. So does God harden the hearts of some and soften the hearts of others? Yes, and he is good. Do I understand it completely? Transparently? No. Theologically, I understand it. Okay? Why? It's his nature and his character. It's who he is. He is a creator God. He's not an imposter. Okay? He's not a counterfeit. He is a creator God. Yahweh is God, and there is no other. Amen? Amen. So I want us to move into a time of communion. And we do this every week on purpose because we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to be reminded of the majesty of who God is. We need to be reminded that he has chosen to soften our hearts. We need to press into the table. This is when Jesus, when he was with his disciples, he said, take this bread that I have broken, which is my body, for you. And then as you take it, and, and the way we do communion here is we take a piece of bread and we dip it in the cup to represent his spilled blood. I mean, watch it. When you dip it, there are, it drips back into the cup. Okay, it's his blood spilled for you. And so as we come to the table week after week, we don't do it as some sort of rote thing that we just don't think about. If you're doing that, just maybe sit out for a couple weeks. We go because we need to be reminded. We need to remember that God sent his son, full of truth, full of grace, to save sinners like me. To save sinners like me like you. Could God have saved Pharaoh? Could he have softened his heart? Yes, he could have. He softened this Pharaoh's heart. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray. They're going to come sing some songs. I'm going to come back up at the end um, to kind of transition us into a time uh, to celebrate Dylan and Macy, uh, and we'll have a few announcements. And so uh, let me pray and just settle us down And then I would encourage you to go to the table. If you're not a Christian, maybe just sit where you are and think and pray 
so our elders will be over in the back somewhere. We'll be the guys standing around like we don't know what we're doing. Um, find one of us. Our, our other leaders will be around. If you want to pray with someone, do it. Don't, don't leave without getting something and communicating what is going on in your life. Okay? And for those of you who are Christians, enjoy the table. Rest at the table. Remember at the table. Father, we love you. We sure thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news that while we were still sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. And that by the power of the Spirit, you have softened our hearts with the truth of the gospel. I just think through that these miracles of the staff and snake and the leprosy in the hand and the plagues, like, miracles don't change people's hearts. These miracles don't. There was only one, is the resurrection of our Lord. So we thank you that today we can rest in the completed work of Jesus Christ. So now as we enter into a time of communion, I pray that it would be just that, a time where we can commune with you, triune, perfect God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We love you. We thank you that we can meet in this place freely and without persecution. We pray that these days are, are many and they're not soon to cease. God, we're grateful for this church and the people that make up this body. We pray now in the name of our Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.